Aaron Judge and Jose Altuve, uh, they're two of the best baseball players in the world right now, and uh, they're very different. They, physically, they are very different players and people, and so here's a picture of Jose Altuve. Uh, he plays second base for the Houston Astros. They just won a uh, World Series, and uh, he's not a very large man. And then you have Aaron Judge, if you want to go to the next, the next picture here. He plays for the New York Yankees. He hit 62 home runs this year, and he's a very large man. And in isolation, it's it is hard to tell how big Aaron Judge is and how small Jose Altuve is until you see them together. So here's a, a real picture of them. So there, there they are. If you want to go to the next, the next picture here. Now this picture highlights how big Aaron Judge is and how small Jose Altuve is. And this is exactly what Moses is doing in Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5. He compares the line of Cain with the line of Seth. And the apex of this comparison is the comparison between two men, Lamech, who's of the line of Cain, and Enoch, who's the li- of the line of Seth. And we know that this is a comparison we're supposed to draw because both men are the seventh generation from Adam. Here's a genealogy here. If you're tra- tra- tracking with the story, Adam and Eve, they had Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. And then Cain went to a city, the city of Nod, and established the city of Enoch. And he had many children. And the seventh generation from Adam is Lamech. And last week we looked at Lamech, how evil he was. He's a boastful man. He was a polygamist and a murderer. And then you have, on the other side... Uh, the, the line of Seth, God gave Seth to Adam and Eve, and the seventh generation from Adam and Eve is Enoch. And in Genesis chapter 5, we're given special instructions about Enoch. And so we know from the scriptures we are supposed to compare and contrast these two men. Lamech is marked by utter rebellion, and Enoch is marked by the worship of God. Look at how he is described, how Enoch is described in Genesis chapter 5, verse 22. It says, and after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Enoch is the epitome of a true worshiper. He didn't walk with God for a month. He didn't walk with God for a year. He walked with God for the rest of his life. In verse 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not there because God took him. Verse 24 breaks the flow of chapter 5, what Moses does in chapter 5 is he says this person uh, was born and they lived so many years and then they died. And this person was born and they lived so many years and then they died. This person was born and lived so many years and then they died. But when, when he comes to Enoch, he says Enoch walked with God and he didn't die. He didn't die. The Lord just took him. He's one of two people in the Bible who walked with the Lord and the Lord, because of his mercy, because of his kindness, said, Enoch, you don't have to die. I'll just take you right to heaven. And so this morning, I want to look at five truths about walking with God. Uh, Enoch is lifted up in the scriptures as an example to follow. He's worth imitating. He's worth learning from. And so I want to give you five truths about walking with God that we see in this passage. Number one is that you are designed to walk with God. When you think about yourself, it's important how you think about yourself. And the first truth we see is that you are designed to walk with God. One of the most common questions we ask is the question, why do I exist? Why do I exist? What is the purpose of my life? And categorically, there are only two options. Either you exist for some purpose, there's some reason you exist, or you exist for no purpose. There's no reason why you should exist. There's either objective meaning in the world, or there is random chaos. And these first two verses of chapter 5 give us three truths about the nature of our existence. First, you've been created by God. 
We see here that we have been created by God, that every human being that exists, every person in this room and every person who's ever existed has been created by God, that you're not just some random, uh, random coming together of cells that have evolved over billions of years. This is not the story of the Bible. What the story of the Bible teaches us is that every human being has been created by God. Verse 1, this is the document containing the family records of Adam. On the day God created man. God created man. He created men and women. Every man who's ever lived, every woman who's ever lived has been created by God. The second truth we see is that you have been created in the image of God. You've been created in the image of God. Verse 1, on the, day, on the day God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. Even evil Lamech. Remember Lamech from last week? Even evil Lamech was created in the image of God. And when you see people, people who sin against you, people who do terrible things in the world, everything changes in your soul when you recognize that they are created in the image of God. How you treat them, how you think about them, everything is different when you say they are created in the image of God. And so verse 1 reestablishes the doctrine of the Imago Dei, the image of God and man, that all human beings are sacred. Every person is sacred. Not because of our intelligence or our good looks, not because of our strength or our wealth or our skin color, but we are valuable, we are sacred because we are created in the image of God. And then third, you have been created for God. You have been created for God. Part of being created in the image of God means that you've been given a capacity to know God, to worship God, to walk with God. This is a a big part of what it means to be a human being. And we get a hint of this reality in Genesis 3.8. It says, Then the man and his wife, this is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. This is right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. And so they hide from God. But the point is that Adam and Eve were to walk with God in paradise. That's why they were created. They were created to walk with God. They were created in the image of God, they were created by God, and they were created for God, to enjoy God, to glorify God, to know God. And if we have been created by God, if you have been created by God, and if you have been created in the image of God, and if you have been created for God, then there is a significant implication that logically follows. And here's the implication. Nothing in life will satisfy you the way you want to be satisfied until you know God through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That nothing, there is nothing in life that will satisfy you the way you want to be satisfied until you know God through Jesus Christ. Marriage is great. It's a great blessing from God. Money, success, fame, sex, friends, kids, health, all great. But none of these things, or even a combination of these things, will give you the life that you seek. None of them will give you the joy that you are after. And our problem, part of our, our fallenness, is that we believe that if we can just manipulate our circumstances, change this, change, okay, a little bit more money, a little bit more fame, a little bit more security, whatever it is, we think that if we can just adjust our circumstances, get our circumstances just right, then we'll be, we will be truly happy. Then we will know life. And so we keep looking for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We, we keep wondering, okay, do I just need to add a little bit more of this or take away a little bit of that? Uh, recently, I was driving just this last week, and uh, I saw the Powerball billboards. Have you guys seen those? The 
Powerball billboards at the time. Uh, the Powerball was at $2.04 billion. And I was praying this week and just asking the Lord, Lord, do you want me to buy a lottery ticket? Are you trying, do you want me to win the lottery here? Will you please lead me in that way? That'd be wonderful. I don't need the $2 billion. I just need the $0.04 billion. I will be happy with that. But, but I don't know how your heart works, but sometimes I see the lottery and I'm like, that would be kind of nice. That would make my life a whole lot better. But then, if you look at people who get everything they want, do you know any of those people? Or do you read about those people in the world? They get everything that they want in life. Or you look at the people who get everything that you want in life. If they don't have Christ, often they are still empty. They're still searching. They don't have life. I mean, look at Tom Brady. He has like, he's won like 100 Super Bowls. He has money. People like him, he's good looking, he's healthy, he has kids, he's married to a rich Brazilian supermodel, and recently, he just, got, he just got divorced. Tom and Giselle, they just got divorced, and when I read the story about what was going on, uh, I just thought, how could this be? How, how is it possible that these two people got divorced? They were so discontent with their life, they were saying, we cannot continue with our life. Together, we have to get divorced. It made me think of Proverbs 27, 20. It says, people will never stop dying. People will never stop dying. And people will never stop being destroyed. And they will never stop wanting more than they have. This is human nature, that we just keep wanting more and wanting more and wanting more. So we keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. And we think, okay, this is the thing I need. This is the thing that I need. I read the story of a family in Australia uh, this week, who loved their golden retriever. They had a uh, golden retriever for 18 years, and then their dog died. And then they took their dog to a taxidermist, and this is what they created here. Um, this is a golden retriever rug. And uh, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong to turn your dog into a rug. I'm just saying it's really weird to do that. It's exceptionally weird to turn your golden retriever into a rug. And so in the story, they were asked the question, why did you do this? Why did you do this? Here's the answer. We hope, this is, this is what they said, we hope the pelt will bring us comfort and peace. We hope the pelt, the golden retriever rug, will bring us comfort and peace. And see, every one of us, we are hungry for comfort and peace. We are looking for joy and life. The problem is that we eat rotten food and drink from polluted springs. And the process of filling ourselves with the things of this world make us more and more sick, move us further and further away from Christ. And what the scriptures teach us is that Christ is our joy. The joy that we seek is Christ. The comfort that we want is Christ. The life that we want, the, the reason we've been created is Christ. Christ is the end for which we have been created. You will not find your life until you know Christ. You will not find your life until you know Christ. And we don't walk with Christ to get a promotion. We don't walk with Christ to get a spouse. We don't walk with Christ to get more money. We walk with the Lord to know the Lord. We walk with the Lord to know the Lord. That he is the end for which we have been created. He is where life is found. And everyone who tastes of the goodness of God the mercy of God. Every, any, anyone who knows the grace of God and sees the glory of God says, that's it. God, knowing him, worshiping him, that is where life is at. Psalm 27.4, this is King David who had 
virtually everything you could ever imagine. Verse 4 says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. That's what I want. This is what David said. This is what I want. I want one thing. I want to know the Lord. I want to see his glory. I want to worship him in his temple. Brothers and sisters, the most important goal in life is to walk with God. The most important goal in life is to walk with God. And therefore, the most important task, the most important objective of every day is to walk with God. And there's nothing like walking with God. There's nothing, there's nothing like knowing God, where God is more than an idea in your head, where God is the greatest reality in your life. J.I. Packer, he wrote the book Knowing God, which is a wonderful book. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. And I have found this to be true time and time again, that once I recognize, okay, the, the most important thing I do every day is just to walk with God. It's to know God. It's to see God. It's to trust God. Most of the problems, most of life's problems and concerns, they fall into place. Now, they don't always fall into place the way I want them to, but they fall into place. So why should you walk with God? It's because you've been created for him. Number two, how do you walk with God? You walk with God by faith. You walk with God by faith. How did Enoch walk with God? How did Enoch walk with God? The answer is by faith. Verse five, Hebrews chapter 11, verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Please notice in verse 5 that faith pleases God. Do you want to know what pleases God? Faith pleases God. We are so easily impressed by so much in the world. We're impressed by how people look. We're impressed by how much money people have, by success, by talent, by intelligence, by the way people dress, by the cars that they drive, by the children that they have. But God is not impressed with any of those things. He is not impressed with any of those things. God is not impressed by how fast you can run. He's not impressed by, by how hard you can work. He's not impressed by how much you can deadlift. He's not impressed by any, any of those things. There is one thing that pleases God. There's only one thing you can do that pleases God, and that is exercising faith in Christ. It's trusting him. And Enoch had genuine faith in God. Second, please notice that faith is how we draw near to God. Faith is how we draw near to God. If you want to know God more deeply, it doesn't happen all at once, that day by day we draw near to God by faith. Hebrews eleven six. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. This is a self-evident truth, but think about it for a moment. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists. You can't draw near to a God that you don't believe exists. And if you do the, the logical thought process, you walk through the logical thought process, you come to the conclusion that if the God of the Bible is real, the triune God of the Bible is real, he's worth knowing. He's worth everything. I mean, if he, if he really is the creator of the universe, and if the Lord Jesus Christ really did come and live and die and rise again, that we might be reconciled to him, that we might know him, if that's really true, he's worth everything. You, you should go for broke and spend your whole life walking with him. 
chasing after him. And if he is not real, if God does not exist, then he's worth nothing. He's just an idea. And he's not worth anything. You shouldn't follow him at all. It'd be like living your life according to the little, little mermaid or Peter Pan or whatever it is. You shouldn't do that if it's just an idea. And so the way the rela- our relationship with God operates, the starting point is, do you believe that this God is real? Do you believe that he really exists? Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, biblical faith is not faith in faith. Biblical faith is faith in the God of the Bible as revealed by the scriptures. It is the conviction at the core of our being that he is. He is. He exists. And because he exists, the eyes of our heart lock in on him. We trust him. We draw near to him. Biblical faith moves us to say what Hosea chapter 6 says. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Now here it is. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. This is the spirit of faith in the scriptures. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The life of faith is not marked by uh, morality. Like, if you, do I have real biblical faith? It's not marked by a desire to just do good things. That's, that's part of it, but that's not the heartbeat of it. The heartbeat of biblical faith, it says, I want to know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. So how do we walk with God? By faith. Number three, walking with God is difficult. What do you need to know about walking with God? Walking with God is difficult. It is filled with joy and it is difficult. Why is it hard to walk with the Lord? Why is it challenging? Many of us, we we say, yeah, of course it's a good idea to walk with the Lord. But then we say, ah, but I don't. So why is it hard to walk with the Lord? Reason number one, God is holy. God is holy. And the more we walk with God, the more aware we become of our sin. We become like Isaiah who says, woe to me. He's in the presence of God. He sees that God is holy, holy, holy. He says, woe, woe to me. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He became aware of his own sinfulness. And to be aware of our own sinfulness in the presence of a holy God is a scary reality. Remember Adam, what Adam said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, after Adam and Eve sinned, God shows up to walk with them in the garden. And this is what Adam says. And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. It was Adam's sin that made him want to run from God. And it's your sin, it's our sin, my sin, that makes me want to run from the presence of God of God. I don't want to deal, oftentimes I don't want to deal with my own sin. I don't want to deal with my own life. The holiness of God is a threat to our love of sin. If we love our sin, we can't live in his presence. There's a man who put a mirror up uh, in the middle of the woods, and then he put a camera up to see what would happen with the mirror in the woods, and this is uh, what he discovered. So here's a short little video.
Okay, let's, let's dissect what just happened here. So the bear is just walking around. He's just walking around. And all of a sudden, he looks up, and what does he see? Himself. And he says, no way. And he, he throws the mirror on the ground. He was afraid by what? Himself. Himself. And I think so many of us, we have this experience. We just go about our life, just living our lives, and then every once in a while, we look in the mirror. And see, when you go into the presence of God, it's like you see the holiness of God and you begin to feel and understand our own sinfulness. And oftentimes, we don't, we don't want to look at that. We don't want it. We see ourselves. And God, because of his holiness, he says, no, no, I love you too much to leave you like that. Let's move forward. Let's become like Christ. That's what the spirit of Christ in us is doing. He's leading us into the worship of God. It is much easier to pretend to walk with God than it is to walk with God. It is much easier to just pretend to walk with God than it is to walk with God. It's, it's much, quote, safer to pretend to walk with God than it is to walk with God. And so we hide from God just like Adam and Eve did. We hide from God in our busyness. We hide from God in our families. We hide from God in our work. We hide from God in our hobbies. We hide from God in serving people and serving the church. We hide from God. But Enoch did not do that. By the grace of God, he walked with God. It's hard. It's hard to walk with God. Reason number two, we have many enemies. We have many enemies. The world we live in, the culture we live in, will not support us in our life of faith in Christ. The world is not going to applaud you for exercising faith in Christ. They will, the world we live in will applaud you for being a person of faith as long as it doesn't mean anything. But the world will not applaud you for your faith in the God of the Bible. The serpent will applaud people of faith, but he will not support faith in the God of the Bible. And our flesh is fine with religion, but our flesh moves us away from trusting Christ. Genesis chapter 5, verse 3 says, Adam was 130 years old when he fathered a son in his likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. So God creates human beings in the image, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female. And then Adam had a son in his image. And so there's this dichotomy in the human experience where we are created in the image of God and we are in the image of our great, 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 great grandpa, Adam. We inherited a sinful nature from Adam. We inherit the, these impulses towards sin and rebellion from Adam. We are drawn to sin like a moth to a flame. And every day... We have competing desires that lie to us every day of our lives. When I wake up in the morning, my phone is 100% charged. And when I wake up in the morning and I get out of bed, my flesh is 100% charged for the day. It's ready. It's ready to lie to me and lead me astray. Paul says this about our old life. Ephesians chapter 4, 22, he says to take off your former way of life. Now, what is our former way of life like? The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Our old self is corrupted by deceitful desires. And see, the deceitful desires in our hearts distort the way we see the world. Our deceitful desires put a lens over our eyes, and it distorts the way we see God, ourselves, and others. 
This is why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. The enemy of your faith in Christ is sight. The enemy of your faith in Christ is sight. And when I say sight, I do not mean logic, data, facts, reason. Facts are not the enemy of your faith in Christ. Reason is not the enemy of your faith in Christ. So what does Paul mean when he says sight? This is what he means. He means the way we naturally see the world through the lens of our flesh and emotions. The way we naturally see the world through the lens of our flesh and our emotions. Remember Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6? This is a paradigm. It's a, it's a picture of what we experience all the time. Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw. You should just stop there for a moment and consider that. When the woman saw saw what did she see that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise she took from its fruit and ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and so Eve did not see the tree through the lens of the scriptures she saw the tree through the lens of the lie and so sight was the enemy of Eve in the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That sight, her sight was the enemy. The lie that went over her eyes, that distorted the truth about the tree. And in the same way, our sight is the enemy of our faith in Christ. This is why the life of faith is a fight. It is the good fight of faith. It is a fight every day of our lives. And it is, it is difficult. It is filled with joy. It is filled with blessing. It is filled with life. And it is a fight. That's why the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight of faith. He made it to the end, fighting the good fight of faith. He says, I ran the race. I ran the race. You know, years ago, I was at Adventureland with my family. And uh, we were having a great time. We rode the rides. And then we went to the water park at Adventureland. And, um, and then we said, let's go, let's go down the slides. And so we went over to the slides, and so here's a picture of the slides. Uh, that's not me in the picture, just for the record. But So we went down all the slides, and then it came time to go down the, the big green slide, and I was not mentally prepared for the green slide. I thought it was like the other slides. And so I, I walked up, waited, waited in line talking with my kids, and then my turn came, and I, I stepped in, and I looked down, and I couldn't see the slide. Like, I couldn't see. I was looking down. I could, like, you can't see the slide. And I thought, am I just jumping off a, a ledge to my death? Is that what this is all about here? And so my heart froze. I was, I was afraid. And so I'm standing there. I'm like frozen. I'm like, I got I to do something. And so I just stepped out of line. I just stepped out and I let other people go. And it was kind of funny. There was this little girl who was barely tall enough to ride the, the slide. She went in and just jumped off. And I thought, oh my goodness. It's kind of embarrassing. Whatever. But so I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I got to go down the slide. I got to go down the slide. I'm going to go down the slide. And, and so... What was my enemy in going down the slide? Was it facts? Was it logic? Was it reason? Was it evidence? No. It was my sight. I couldn't see what I thought I needed to see to go down the slide. And so what did I do? I, I thought about what was true, about how thousands of people have gone down that slide today. And they were just fine, at least as far as I know. And that the, that the slide was designed by people who know how to maximize fun and safety in theory. 
and I can't let this little girl show me up. And so I said, I'm going to, I need to go down the slide. And so I said, okay, what's true? I can't see, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to go down the slide. And there is a battle. There is a battle every single day between what is true, like really true, and what you see. There's a battle every day between what is true and what you see. And the good fight of faith is the fight to remember and believe the truth, the truth of God's word in spite of how you feel in the moment. That's the good fight of faith. The good fight of faith is the fight to remember and believe the truth of God's word in spite of how you feel in the moment. So will you forgive or will you remain bitter? Often that is a good fight of faith. Do you believe what is true from the scriptures or do you go by what you see and what you feel? Will you be generous or will you be greedy? Will you serve others or will you be selfish? Will you be grateful or will you complain? Will you be proud or will you be humble? Will you be courageous with the truth or will you be cowardly? Will you, will you confess your sin to God and others or will you hide? And the list goes on and on and on. The good fight of faith is the fight to remember and believe the truth of God's word in spite of how you feel in the moment. This is why if you are serious, with walking, if you are serious about walking with God in, in any way, like if you're, if you're serious about walking with God at all, you must saturate your mind and your heart in the word of God. You just, this is the light. What is it like to walk with God? If you're serious at all, you have to saturate your heart and your mind in the word of God. You need to be like Job, Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the commands from his lips. I have treasured the words from his mouth more than my daily food. Every person that I know who is serious about walking with God reads the Bible like their life depends on it. And I would, I would just say this, if you, if you don't prioritize God's word, like as a pattern, I'm not saying if you miss a day, you miss a couple days, that's not what I'm saying. If it is not the food for your soul over the course of a month, two months, a year, you're just not serious about walking with God. And you should just say that. Just say, I'm not serious about walking with God. Don't kid yourself about it. People who are serious about walking with God love the word of God. Otherwise, you're, just, you're, you're totally helpless. All you have is your feelings. All you have is your emotions. All you have is your desires, which are constantly lying to you. They're constantly lying to you. You're defenseless. We, we wage war in our souls by the power of God's word. It is God's word that gives us victory as we trust and believe his word. Number four. To walk with God, you need to decide to walk with God. To walk with God, you need to decide to walk with God. In Genesis chapter 5, Moses says that in early human history, people lived a long time, a long time, hundreds of years. And because of the sinfulness of human beings, in Genesis chapter 6, we see that God shortens the lifespan of human beings to 120 years. And the point is not to get caught up on how old everybody is. The point is to notice how long Enoch walked with God. Verse 21, Enoch was 65 years old when he fathered Methuselah. And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. Moses indicates that the tipping point in Enoch's life 
What was his tipping point? What pushed him over the edge? What was the tipping point for Enoch where he went from not walking with God to walking with God? What was it? He indicates that the tipping point in Enoch's life was becoming a father. It was becoming a father. And virtually everyone that I know or anyone you read about in the scriptures or anyone you read about who have gone on to walk with God and live fruitful lives, what you will see is that there's a moment or there's a season in life that pushed them over the edge where they said, I'm just done with my old life. I'm just, I'm done. I'm done with my old life. I'm done with my sin. I'm done with my excuses. I'm done with my disobedience. I'm done. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to be serious about walking with God. And the turning point in Enoch's life is not what you would have written up. It's not that Enoch, he, he went to a Billy Graham crusade and he heard the gospel preached and he gave his life to Christ and now he's walking with the Lord. That's not what it is. His turning point is when he became a dad. And he's like, okay, I'm going to walk with God the rest of my life. Have you had that turning point in your life? Have you ever gotten to a point in your life where you say, I'm just done, I'm just, my old life, over. I'm, I'm going to walk with God. I don't even know exactly what that means. I'm just going to walk with God. The great hymn says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. It goes on to say, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. And this is the work of God in someone's life where they just say, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with God. Number five, aim to please God. Aim to please God. If you want to walk with God, there are two questions I want to encourage you to ask with regularity. Two questions. First, God, what would be most glorifying to you? Just say, you have my life. I want to walk with you. You're God. I'm not God. I deserve hell. You've redeemed me by your grace. You have my life. Blank check. Whatever you want. What would most glorify you? The second question is, what would be most pleasing to you? It's a very similar question. But this is the way that the Apostle Paul lived. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. That's our aim. That's the target. That's the goal on the wall. I want to be, God, I want to be pleasing to you. This is the way Jesus lived. John 8, 29. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Jesus says, I always do what pleases my Father in heaven. And if you are a Christian, I want to be very clear about this. You stand in a position of grace. If you're a Christian, you stand in the grace of God. You have been forgiven by the blood of Christ that Christ died to take away your sins. So your sins, they were nailed to the cross and they went into the grave and they did not come up out of the grave. They're gone. They've been buried in the bottom of the ocean. Your sins in Christ are gone. And you've been clothed in the righteousness of God. And God, please hear this, God, if you're a Christian... God is pleased with you in Christ. And as children of God, we should ask the question, God, what would be most pleasing to you? In this situation, I don't know what to do. What would, what would best please you? And what I have found is that most, most people can't even ask the question. They won't ask it. Because they already know. See, to ask that question is to give up control. 
To ask the question is to give up control. But brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus died that we might walk with God. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous Jesus for the unrighteous us, that he might bring you to God. All the barriers between God and man have been removed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has brought us to God that we might know him and walk with him. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Jesus says that eternal life is all about knowing God. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to ask those questions to the Lord. Get before the Lord and say, God, what would be most glorifying to you? God, what would be most pleasing to you? And then let God's spirit and let God's word answer. Let God's spirit and let God's word answer that question. And the more and more we walk with God, the more and more we're going to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for what you have done for us. And and Lord, we just know that there is a real spiritual battle that we are in every day of our lives. And we thank you that there is much joy in the fight. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made us, you have made us acceptable. You've forgiven us our sins. You've made us new. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And I, I pray just for many people in this room that you would help us get to a point where we just say, God, we're done with our old lives. No more games. No more excuses. No more lies. God, help us to walk with you by faith. Faith in your word, believing your word, and ultimately, faith in you. We can't do it in our own strength, so help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.